Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm the worship pastor here. For those of you who don't know, and uh, Pastor Aaron's out of town. So good news is, if you don't like me, come back. You can listen to him. <laughs> so I don't do it that often. So, but I'm super excited to be able to preach. It's actually the first time that I've preached in this building. And so I was thinking about that. I was telling my wife last night, you know, it just to see how God has taken us, you know, where we were. Like I remember preaching. I, I get nervous preaching. It's not something I'm comfortable doing. And having to deal with setup and all that stuff and then trying to get ready and to be able to walk in this morning and just turn a couple light switches on and have a praise team do their thing and I could just, you know, focus over here. It's just a, it's a neat thing. God's done some pretty cool stuff. And uh, as Thomas mentioned earlier, come a long way since December. It's pretty awesome. So uh, we've been going through a new series called Asking for a Friend. We did something similar last year where it was called You Asked For It. And so once a year, we want to give an opportunity for you to ask questions that we can try to answer. And so it looks a little different. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. We try to be faithful to answering these questions. But today we're going to answer the question, why, did you, God, why does God answer some prayers and not others? One that we've all asked or thought at least one time or another. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out, whether on your phone or also be on the screen. I just want to make, make sure we're all aware of something. There's a, when we read the Bible, me and Pastor Aaron expect you guys to check what we're saying. Okay? The, the pastor doesn't have authority just when he speaks. The authority comes from the Word of God. And so it's on the screen. We encourage you to do it. And if I ever say, hey, it's in John 9.31, and you look and it's not there, I expect you to say something to me. Okay? Because our job is to train you to be able to discern what's actually right and wrong in this as well. So follow along with us. Um, and if you say I'm wrong, I'm just going to say no, I'm not. But, you know, we'll go with it. So let's uh, stand in honor of God's word as we read Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. Verse 18, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for writing it down through men and, and preserving it for us, that, God, we can learn who you are and how we are to live. God, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross with Jesus, and that it's a constant reminder every day that he's walking with us. God, we want to give you the praise. Open our hearts now to your word. Let us just be um, soft and, and moldable as we dive into your word. God, let us come out changed and closer to you. We want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so before we get into answering the question, I've got to acknowledge the fact that this, this passage here, Jesus cursing the fig tree, some will say is a contradiction to Mark chapter 11. Now, if you know me, this is the type of stuff that I love, so if you don't care, just I'll give you something to brag about to your friends later or something. I don't know. But we're going to go to Mark 11, so I don't want anybody to read Mark 11 and be like, hold on a second, because it looks as though there's something different. For the sake of time, we're not going to go into how this isn't a contradiction, but I do want to give you a few things to chew on, and if you have more questions, I would love to actually walk through this with you and show that this, there's no contradiction here. But we just read that Jesus saw a fig tree with leaves, went up to it, found no fruit, so he cursed it, and it withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled because it withered at once. In Mark 11, verses 24, 
told Jesus, saw a fig tree with leaves. There was no fruit, so he cursed it, and the disciples heard it. And the next day, when the disciples walked back by, they looked and said, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered from the roots. So some will say there's a contradiction here. Because Jesus here in Matthew cursed it, and it withered at once. The disciples marveled that it withered at once. In Mark 11, we're told he cursed it. They heard about it. The next day, they come and see that it had withered. So, again, there's a lot here that we can break down, and it's, it's, it's phenomenal. But for the sake of time, I just want to give you a couple things to notice here. In Matthew, Jesus cursed the tree, and it withers at once. Then it says, when the disciples saw it, they marveled that it withered at once. Now, you go over to Mark, Jesus cursed the tree, and then it says, the next day, when the disciples saw it, they said, look, it's withered from the roots. Now, some might say, well, no, he said withered at once, they acknowledge it withered at once, this is the next day. Okay. In Mark, Peter says it withered from the roots. And one day, let's talk about this for a second, have you ever seen a tree wither? A tree not fallen over from the wind, but a tree that actually withers. You usually start with a tree with a lot of leaves then less leaves, then less leaves, then no leaves, then maybe a twig falls, then another twig, then a branch, and then finally it falls, right? How long does that take? Months? Years? And in one day, Peter says in Mark that it had withered from the roots. So I think it's safe to say they know how trees work too. The fact that Jesus cursed the tree and the next day it's already withered from the roots, that's at once, right? And so what we know for sure is that Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered at once. And when the disciples saw it the next day, they marveled at the fact that it was withered by its roots already in one day, okay? So again, if you didn't care about that, just brag to your friends, you know, be like, I can't believe people saying contradictions, blah, 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 you know, and use this story. But again, if, it, if that doesn't answer your question as you read through it, I would love, there's so much more in here that proves that this is not a contradiction. It's actually a fascinating thing to study. But that's not the question today. But I just want to give you that so nobody gets hung up and we miss what God wants us to see today. So here's the question. Why does God answer some prayers and not others? I want to look at John 9, 31. As we, as we see the first thing here, there's conditions to our prayers, and that is that you have to be a child of God. Okay, God answers the prayers of his children. In John 9, 31, we're told, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he listens to him. God does not listen to sinners, but he listens to his children. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayers of the righteous. This doesn't mean that God doesn't hear everything that somebody says. God hears everything, but there's not an obligation to do anything with the prayers of those that don't have a relationship with him through Jesus. However, there is one prayer that he will answer of the unbeliever, and that's a prayer of repentance as they call on Jesus to save them. But I want us to think about that for a second. How many of us, friends and family we know that are not saved, not children of God, that go through the same situations we do, and they struggle, and they get to the point that even though they don't believe in Jesus and have a relationship with God, they don't know what else to do but call on God and say, God, fix this situation. Heal my loved one. And to know that God's not obligated to do that because they're not in a relationship with him. That should promote, like prompt us to share the gospel. Can you imagine going through a difficult situation and know that God doesn't listen to you? God's not obligated to listen unless you're his child. But we are his children if we believe in Jesus, right? John 1.12 tells us that whoever believes in him, he's given the right to be called the children of God. So if we're Christians 
And we know that he does hear us. How come he doesn't answer some prayers? Well, the second thing we see here is that there are conditions. God has made conditions. There's a promise that if we ask, we'll receive, but there's conditions. Look back in Matthew 21, verse 22. It'll be on the screen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Does it stop there? No, if you have faith. There's a condition when you pray that whatever you ask, you will receive if you have faith. Faith is huge. It's very important. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when we pray, we have to have faith. But faith isn't just what we like to think of it sometimes. Like, oh, I have faith or I believe. True faith doesn't doubt. Look at verse uh, 21. Jesus says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what happened to the fig tree, but you can tell the mountains to jump into the sea, right? We have to have faith that doesn't doubt. That's true faith. James 1, verses 6 through 8, as he's talking, he says, anyone who lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll, be, you know, he'll give it to him. Look what he says, though. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. James throws down some pretty harsh words to describe you and me. How often do we pray without doubting? How often do we pray thinking it's already taken place? You know, we have to pray with a faith that doesn't doubt. Yet more often, we just shrug it off. We, we really have no idea, right? We pray and hope and we just... If we're being honest with ourselves, our faith isn't described this way. And James says that anyone who prays and doubts shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. When we pray, we're supposed to have faith, true faith. The second condition is uh, obedience. When we pray, not only do we have to have faith, we have to have a life of obedience. We read in John 9, 31. Look at it again. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. We have to live a life of obedience. This is different than asking a prayer in God's will. This is doing God's will. This is a life of obedience. So when you come to God and ask for Him to answer a prayer, your life has to be a life of obedience. You have to be doing His will. Jesus says in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. That word abide means to stay, abide, remain. It's a constant life of obedience. It's not just a one-time thing. 1 John 3, 22, whatever you, we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. How do, how do we receive what we've asked for? Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. There's conditions when we pray. We have to pray in faith and we have to, that doesn't doubt. In fact, in Mark 11, it says that when you ask of things, believe you've already received it, right? That faith is that without doubting, I know that God will answer. And then it also has to come from a life that's obedient to Him by keeping His commandments and doing what pleases Him. There's conditions when we pray. Could it be that why God doesn't answer some prayers is we're not meeting these conditions? The third condition is we have to pray according to His will. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. This one's got to be... Scary to most, because we've all asked that before. What's God's will for my life? All Christians have that. What's God's will? What's God's will? Well, the confidence that we have that he, He's going to listen to our prayers is if we ask according to His will. If we don't even know what that is, how can we meet this condition? God has requirements that He promised something if we do something. 
The last condition that we're going to look at is that we have to pray always. There's going to be some verses thrown up on the screen here. These are just a few that I thought clearly spelled it out. There's tons of others. We're told to pray without ceasing. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And then in Luke 18, Jesus, we're told that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. How many of these passages describe our prayer life? When Jesus says here in Matthew 21, ask and you will receive, there's conditions applied that he's already set up. And if maybe you pray all the time, maybe if you're the type that prays every five seconds or whatever it is, this last one here that Jesus says in Luke still condemns us. And we're to pray always and not lose heart. How many of us have lost heart when we have that prayer that just doesn't seem to be getting answered? Yet that's what God requires of us. God tells us this is what's necessary when you come to me and pray. I mean, too often when we pray, if you're like me, shamefully enough, there's days that I pray before breakfast, lunch, dinner, before I go to bed, and it might all total two minutes. Should I expect anything from God if that's my attitude towards prayer? Now, I'm preaching to myself here. God has really opened my eyes to some of this stuff this week. So when we ask the question, why does God answer some prayers and not others? We look at the conditions that he's laid out. And he says, whatever you ask, you will receive if you meet these conditions that I've laid out. Yet you and I don't meet those. You and I fall short. So where is our confidence? Where's our confidence that we can approach God and say, God, you said you would answer this. Why aren't you answering this? But yet I haven't met any of the conditions that you've set out for me. And that's what we do too often, isn't it? Too often we know that we need Jesus to be saved, and then we leave him at the cross and pretend that it's on us. We pretend that now we're going to do God's work. We're going to be perfect to his commands without Jesus. We, we need Jesus all the time, and no different when we pray. You don't approach God without Jesus because you haven't met the conditions. Instead of asking, why does God not answer some? I think we should ask, why does he answer any of them? God has made a promise to answer our prayers if we meet the conditions that you and I have not met. Why does he answer any of them? It's because of Jesus. Think about that for a second. God has made demands of you and I when it comes to salvation, comes to our walk with the Lord when it comes to our prayer life, and yet you and I do not, do not meet those. And every single time when we fail, Jesus is the one who did it for us. Let's quit leaving him at the cross and pretending that we can do this on our own. We can't. You don't approach God apart from Jesus because you fail to meet the, com the conditions. But let me show you how Jesus meets the conditions for you. This doesn't mean you don't try. We're going to get to that in a minute. But when you try and you fail, which you will, Jesus picks up the slack. It's always been about Jesus. We said that when we pray, we have to have faith without doubting. I remember Jesus in the, the story here. He curses the fig tree, and it withers at once. The disciples marvel. The ones that walked with Jesus, they marvel. And he says, you could do the same thing if you had faith, and you didn't doubt. You could do the same thing. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples, ye of little faith, if you only had faith of a mustard seed? But in all of that, he's... he's Drawing a line, we don't have that faith, but he does. He's the one who withered the tree. And here's the thing, faith is a gift. Ephesians 2.8, we're told, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. 
What's the free gift that God gave? It's not grace. Grace is the means in which he gave the gift. Grace is getting something you don't deserve and you got faith. You don't deserve that. And it isn't that he gives it to you and then you somehow muster up what you, what's necessary. The faith is him. He gave you faith to put your trust in him and then it's his faith that meets these conditions. You come to God and you say, God, I do have faith without doubting, not because of me, because of Jesus. Jesus has the faith without doubting, right? Think about when Jesus walks on the water. And Peter calls out, Lord, can I come? He says, come out. And then Peter steps out. And think about that. With his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water for a couple steps. But Peter's just like you and I. What happens? He begins to fear. He begins to doubt. And he begins to sink. Yet Jesus is still walking on water. Comes over. Picks him up. Just like he does for you and me. Jesus is the faith without doubting that we need that meets the condition. When we pray, we have to have faith that doesn't doubt. And that happens with Jesus. We're told we also have to pray in obedience, doing the will of God. Remember when I talk about Jesus, what he said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you wish and it'll be given to you. Prior to that, Jesus says the, the, the proof of you abiding in me is that you'll bear fruit, right? And there's a lot of people who think that, yeah, look at me, I produced fruit because of what I did, Right? I, I believe in Jesus and I've done these things, therefore I produce fruit. Look at me. Well, before we get on that high horse, if we continue reading John 15, we're going to see something in verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus meets the condition for us. He chose us. He's the one who appointed us to abide and bear fruit. That way, when we ask, the Father will give in His name. It's not you and me. And I'm telling you that most Christians, we just leave Jesus over there at the cross. We think that the gospel is for that state of conversion. We forget the gospel is for everyday life. We need Jesus all the time. Jesus showed us you lack everything, but I have it all. I need you for everything that we do. We're, called, we're told to ask God in obedience, yet we fail, but Jesus is perfect. He's the one who chose us. He's the one who makes us able to abide in him. He's the one who produces the fruit in us. Don't go to God alone. You can't. But in Jesus, we can. The other condition we're told is we're to ask according to the will of God. And we already talked about that. That's a struggle for all of us. What's the will of God? How do we know what his plan is? He knows the future we don't. How do we ask that way? Well, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So let's stop pretending. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, here it is, according to the will of God. We're called to ask things according to the will of God. How does that happen? Because he's given us the Spirit to intercede, asking things according to the will of God. It's not about you. You still have a part, and we're going to get to that. But Jesus makes the way. Jesus, we were given the Holy Spirit when Jesus went to prepare a place in John 14. He says, if I go, I will come again. He also says, when I leave, the Father will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach you all things and bring to remembrance those things that I've taught. We are given the Spirit so that we can ask things according to God's will through the Spirit. And the last thing that we saw is that we're to pray always. Pray constantly. And again, not just every five seconds. But pray and not lose heart. Pray the way that you and I don't pray. 
But again, we're not left alone. Look at Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for you and me. Hebrews 7, 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus all the time is interceding for you and I. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now think about this for a second. Jesus is our high priest, and I'm going to try to dumb down, don't hold me to this, I'm going to try to dumb down the Old Testament way of doing things with the high priest. In a nutshell, on the Day of Atonement, you were to bring a sacrifice, and then the high priest would first have to offer a sacrifice for himself, and then he would go into the holy place and offer the sacrifice for you. Now, the high, now that was a flawed system, right? Even the high priest had to tie a rope to his foot because if he gave his sacrifice in a wrong mindset, when he stepped in, he was struck dead and they had to pull him out. Yet we're told in Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus offered the sacrifice once for all for all of us for all the sins of the world. And Jesus is standing before God, interceding for you and I. But I mentioned before, we still have a part. Too many people are going to say, well, if Jesus does it all, why even try? Well, go back to the Old Testament way. Would a high priest offer a sacrifice you didn't bring? No, you're required to bring a sacrifice. You're required to do the things that God has done. You're required to do that with a pure heart. And when you fail, which you will, God knows that. And Jesus steps in and he offers a sacrifice for you. I think about it as Jesus is standing before God. And as we do our best, which falls way short, as if Jesus, as he offers it to God, he says, look, they didn't do what you asked, but I did. You promised to answer if they met the conditions, and I did. Jesus met our conditions. Quit leaving him at the cross. We need him in every aspect of our lives. You don't approach God apart from Jesus. He's the intermediary between God and man. We fall short. Yet Jesus does it all for us. So why does God answer any, any of our prayers? Because of Jesus. And as we've seen here, that every answered prayer we have is an act of grace from God. We don't deserve it. But Jesus did. Now think about that for a second. Because there's a lot of Christians who think, we think that we're just way up here, God, we're God's prized pupil, right? But the reality of it is, apart from Jesus, we're nothing. Jesus did the work that you and I couldn't do, and yet his reward is passed on to us through him. So again, don't go to God without Jesus. You have to have Jesus. You fail miserably, you and I both. And every time God answers a prayer, it's an act of grace on behalf of Jesus for us. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you a scripture in case you're unaware of this. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So when we pray, I hope that this verse and what we've been talking about changes the way that you end your prayer. Because we all pray, in Jesus' name, amen. No, it's in Jesus that we pray with confidence that this will be answered because He fulfills the requirements that God commanded. So here's the deal. Why does God not answer some prayers? Well, if you're not his child, he's not obligated to. If you are his child, 
There's conditions that have to be met. And though you can't meet them, you still have a sacrifice to bring. You still have to do your part. And here's the reality. When you do your part because of Jesus, you are promised that he will answer. So let's focus on that because this question comes from why doesn't God answer some with the assumption that we think he should answer those. So we're going to assume that we've met the commands in Jesus. We've done our part and therefore he should answer yes, thinking that it's the will of God and all these things. And the promise we have in Jesus, he does answer, but he's going to answer in three ways. Yes, no, and yes, but not yet. And so I want to look at those first. The yes, we're good with, right? Nobody has a problem getting what they want. I've yet to meet somebody who asked for something, got it, and got upset, right? But in Matthew chapter 7, we're told, Jesus says, which one of you, if your son comes and asks for a fish, will give a serpent? If, he's at, if he asks for an egg, you'll give a scorpion. And then he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask of him? Okay, so in Jesus, God gives good gifts. He does answer. But since I, I brought up Matthew 7, because God brings in our relationship to help us understand his relationship with us. So when we talk about him answering no, I got to step back. And there's times that my little boy Marcus asks for things. And he might be convinced that he needs it. Now, he's four, so they're usually ridiculous. But as you get older, I'm sure your kids ask things that they're convinced are good for them. You should say yes. It'd be ridiculous if you say no, right? Yet as the parent, we can see ahead. We, we've been in their situation before. And there's things that they think are good that we know are not. There's things that might, might even provide temporary relief, but lasting hurt. And in those situations, a loving parent would not give in to the child. A loving parent would say no, because it's for your good. But going back to Matthew 7, we're evil, we're broken. How much more would a perfect God who actually knows the future, knows exactly what you're going to go through, when he says no, it's for your good. In 2 Corinthians 12, we're told about Paul with a thorn in the flesh. Paul had just been taken up to the third heaven where the presence of God is. And I, and I try to think of this, Paul is probably pumped, right? Paul couldn't wait to tell everybody about Jesus and he's just seen the third heaven. And he comes back down, probably wanting to hit the ground and take off running. And no, he's given a thorn in the flesh that he calls a tormentor of Satan. And we're told that he pleads with God three times to remove it. So what we have to assume then is he thought that this thorn was hindering his ability to do what God had called him to do. We know Paul didn't account his life of anything. He says that over and over. It's just he wants to do the work of the Lord. So this thing is hindering him. So Paul went to the Lord, pleading to take it away, thinking that it would probably be another one of those where God takes it away and then he can praise God and tell other people about it. Yet God says no. And look at verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. It says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God knows what's best. This was a tormentor of Satan. And God says, No. This would be temporary relief, but I know what's going to happen, and this is going to cause you to depend on me. So because of everything that we've just talked about and understanding that God promises to answer when we, when we come in Jesus' name, if he says no, it's for our good. Therefore, this is why we should respond the same way Paul does. Look at the end of verse 9. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, when we understand that when God says no, and we've done it His way in Jesus, then it's for our good, therefore we rejoice. But too often, we just demand a yes from God when we fail to do our part. 
if we've really come in Jesus' name, it humbles us to the point that when he says no, we know it's for our good, just like we would do for our own children. Do you think Paul forgot about the thorn? I'm sure he didn't. But yet every time he was reminded of it, it caused him to rejoice knowing that the power of Christ was going to come on him even greater because in his weakness, Christ is strong. And so when we're told no, it's for our good. And the last one, and then we're going to close. What about the ones where God says yes, but not yet? Again, I'll go back to with Marcus. I'm getting to the point where I regret saying yes, but not yet. Because he'll drive me insane, right? Hey, can we do this? Yeah, we're going to do it. Just wait a second. 30 seconds later. Can we do it now? You said we could. You said just wait a second, right? Now, now for me, it's because I'm lazy. Right? I don't usually want to go run after I just ate dinner. Right? And that's all he wants to do is race. Or let's go wrestle. Or let's go do this. Let's go do that. I'm like, we're going to, but not yet. Right? Well, it drives him crazy because he doesn't understand. You said yes. Why in the world are you making me wait? Right? It's hard for us when God tells us yes, but not yet. Of course, his yes isn't like ours. His yes is tied to a promise. And it's very difficult for us when we pray for God to fulfill a promise he made. And he says not yet. But we see that in scripture too. On Wednesday nights, we're going through Revelation. And in chapter 6, I want us to look at something. In verse 9, we're told that when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness they had bore. These souls had been killed for just proclaiming the word of the Lord. That is why they've died. And they cry out with a loud voice, right? Much like our kids getting impatient. They cry with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. Again, they're calling on God, knowing he's in control, knowing he's holy and true, and that he's made a promise. And they say, how much long, how, how, long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? God made a promise to avenge them. And they're sitting here, and they cry out, God, O sovereign God, holy and true, you made a promise. How much longer before you do what you said you were going to do? And in verse 11, we're told, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer. These are hard for us. These are hard for us when we're told yes, but not yet. But as I mentioned before, if I tell my son, yes, but not now, it's usually because I'm lazy or I don't want to do something. When God says yes, but not yet, it's for his glory. There's a plan. There's a purpose. There's something he will see finished. And though it's rough on us, knowing that God, every answered prayer is, a, is an act of grace because of what Jesus did. If he says yes, but not yet, it is for his glory. And therefore we rejoice. I said, God's not lazy. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'd be willing to say, if you want God to hurry up, maybe you should start sharing the gospel, right? He's waiting. He doesn't wish that any should perish. These are hard. When God says yes, but not yet, they're hard. But it's for his glory. When he says no, it's for your good. And knowing that all of these are an act of grace, we rejoice. And we thank God for giving us something we don't deserve. So when we come to God by his conditions, which only happened through Jesus' promise, is to answer. Whether it's yes, no, or not yet, it's for our good and for his glory. Therefore, we rejoice. And I want, you, I want to leave you with that. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And we're going to close out with a song called It Is Well. I can't think of a more fitting song. than in those moments where we're told no or yes, but not yet.
that we just rest in Jesus, knowing he's got a plan, a purpose, and he's given us his promise. If we go to him in Jesus, he will answer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. Though it's convicting, it's also encouraging. God, we come to a God that we don't deserve to approach. Yet because of Jesus, we're told we can boldly approach your throne. God, I pray that we'd never approach you apart from Jesus. I pray that we'd never forget the importance of Jesus in our lives, not just to save us once, but God, to carry us until we get to heaven. God, I pray that there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that has asked for you to do things that you're not required. God, I pray that you would open their heart. That God, today would be the day that they realize that apart from you, they're going to be separated forever. But all that can change in Jesus. God, I pray that they do that today. And God, I pray for anyone else here who struggles in the prayer life to lean on Jesus, to humble ourselves, to know that the conditions you've made we can't obtain. But in Jesus, all your promises are yes. So God, be with us now as we close out in a song. I want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together.